0: Hello, this is Niktha from newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 3rd of January. Under 20,000 fresh coronavirus cases were recorded in the country in the last 24 hours, taking the total COVID tally to over 1.03 crores. Active cases remained under 3 lakh, while over 99 lakh people have recovered from the virus so far. A little over 200 fresh fatalities were recorded in the last 24 hours. Nationwide COVID testing dropped to under 10 lakh on the first two days of the new year. The drugs controller general of India today gave a green signal to the emergency restricted approval of two vaccine candidates. Bharat Biotech's vaccine candidate Covaxin and Oxford AstraZeneca's Covishield were given the nod for restricted use in public interest. Both the vaccines have to be administered in two doses and have to be stored at 2 to 8 degrees Celsius. These are the first coronavirus vaccines to get approved in the country. While the vaccine developed by the Serum Institute of India was in Phase 3 of trials, the Bharat Biotech vaccine only has data from studies on animals and Phase 2 data on 800 volunteers who were studied. Opposition leaders from the Congress criticised the move of the DGCI to approve Bharat Biotech's vaccine candidate prematurely. Meanwhile, the Indian Institute of Medical Research, or the ICMR, said yesterday that India has successfully cultured the new mutant strain of COVID-19, which originated in the United Kingdom. The ICMR said in a tweet that the UK variant of the virus, with all signature changes, is now successfully isolated and cultured at the National Institute of Virology through samples collected from UK returnees. Culturing is the process by which cells are grown under controlled conditions, generally outside their natural environment. Our story of the week on Daily Dose is the farmer's protest. We'll come back to it later during the episode. In Uttar Pradesh's Bijnor district yesterday, the police filed a charge sheet under the state's anti-conversion law against a 22-year-old carpenter for allegedly kidnapping a Dalit woman in December. According to an Indian Express report, the investigating officer in the case said that the accused, identified as Afzal, was booked under provisions of the Uttar Pradesh Prohibition of Unlawful Conversion of Religion Ordinance of 2020. Besides this, the police also added a rape charge against him based on the woman's statement to the district magistrate. The police officer said that the woman had come to Bijnor from Chandigarh last month to attend a relative's wedding. On 6th of December, however, she went missing and a case was filed by her father on December 9th. The woman, in her statement, claimed that the accused sexually assaulted her and put pressure on her to convert her religion. In November last year, the Yogi Adityanath government in Uttar Pradesh had passed the anti-conversion law aimed at tackling love jihad. Love Jihad is a conspiracy theory advocated by right-wing Hindutva groups alleging that Muslim men trick or force Hindu women into marrying them solely for the purpose of religious conversion. According to a report by The Express, out of the 14 cases filed in Uttar Pradesh till now under the anti-conversion law, only two have been filed by women themselves. In the rest of the cases, it was the relatives of the women who filed the complaints. In two of them, Hindutva outfit activists intervened, holding protests outside the police station. In all the cases except one, the woman involved is an adult. In eight cases, the couple are believed to have been either friends or in a relationship while one couple claimed to be married. The anti-love jihad warriors of the Sangh Parivar cannot be dismissed as misguided youth, as some politicians and pundits often do. These are men and women with families and often flourishing businesses who simply will not tolerate a Hindu woman marrying a Muslim man because they somehow regard it as an existential threat to Hinduism. Really though, as Newslaundry gleaned from speaking with some of these supposed warriors, their opposition to such relationships stems from their dislike and even hatred of Muslims. My colleague Prateek Goyal spoke to some of them to understand why they have dedicated their lives to fighting love jihad. To know more about how Hindutva vigilantes are battling love jihad in Madhya Pradesh, do read Prateek's report titled the same on our website newslaundry.com. Listeners, I'm sure you understand how in-depth ground reportage like this needs not just hard work and time but also resources. And as all of you know, we are a 100% ad-free news platform. We believe that in order for media to remain independent, away from corporate and political agendas, you, that is the news consumer, needs to pay to keep news free. So go to our website, check out all the ground reports and if you think we are doing a good job, please hit that subscribe button on the top right corner of the website. A monthly subscription costs as low as three hundred rupees only. Dear listeners, please consider this a trigger warning as the following news contains violent or graphic information. A 23-year-old man in Haryana who had married a woman from a different caste was stabbed to death on Friday. The crime was allegedly committed by the man's brother-in-laws. According to an NDTV report from yesterday, the woman's brothers were against the marriage even though the families had expressed their approval. The incident took place in a busy market in Haryana's Panipat city. The accused persons called the man named Neeraj and asked him to meet them. One of the accused stabbed the 23-year-old man at least 12 times. According to the complainant, who is Neeraj's brother, the accused had called their sister and told her that she would cry soon. The complaint states that the accused had been threatening Neeraj for a long time. Neeraj's brother also said that the accused had called his family and told them that more deaths would take place. The police have filed a case against the accused but are yet to make the arrests. This is the second such incident of suspected owner killing in the state within the last three days. According to an India Today report, a 28-year-old woman and her partner had been shot dead by her uncle in Haryana's Rotak city on 30th of December. Zakir Rehman Lakvi, the chief planner of the 26/11 Mumbai attacks and the Lashkar-e-Taiba's current Supreme Commander of Operations has been arrested by Pakistan's counter-terrorism authorities on charges of terrorist financing. He was found guilty of extending financial help to terrorists through different umbrella businesses. Lakhvi was out on bail since 2015 in the Mumbai terror attack case. A spokesperson of the Pakistani counter-terrorism department said, and I quote, following an intelligence-based operation conducted by the CTD Punjab, proscribed organisation Lashkare Taiba leader Zakir Rahman Lakhvi was arrested on charges of terrorism financing, unquote. Lakhvi's case will now be heard in the anti-terrorist court in Lahore. Earlier this year, the Sanctions Committee of the United Nations Security Council had given approval for a monthly basic expenses of 1.5 lakh rupees to Zakir Rahman Lakvi and Mahmoud Sultan Bashiruddin, a Pakistani nuclear engineer. Both of them have been listed by the UN as international terrorists. Lakvi had a role in the 2611 Mumbai terror attacks, while Sultan, once at the Pakistan Atomic Energy Commission, came under the scanner for his meetings with al-Qaeda's Osama bin Laden. Sultan has been awarded the Sitara EMTRs, the third-highest civilian honour in Pakistan. Coming back to our story of the week. The farmers' agitation against the centre's contentious farm laws on the borders of the national capital has been gaining momentum and widespread support. For what started in the states of Punjab and Haryana soon after the centre's passing of the farm bills is now a nearly 40-day mass agitation of farmers' organisations from multiple states. Since the protests began, over six rounds of talks between the farm union leaders and the centre have taken place, with no signs of a consensus materialising. The three farm laws were bulldozed through the parliament by the central government on the 27th of September last year. Protests had taken place in the parliament itself by members of the opposition, who accused the deputy chairman, Harvan Singh, of helping the government rush through the farm bills in the Rajya Sabha without following a democratic process. During the protests in the Sabha, the deputy chairman had refused to consider the opposition's demand of sending the bills to a select committee for review and had evaded the division of votes. Soon after the condemnation of the move by the opposition parties, the Shiromaniya Akali Dal, the oldest ally of the BJP-led National Democratic Alliance, parted ways with it on the issue of the farm bills. The Shiromaniya Kali Dal had echoed the opposition's demand of fully reviewing the bills before they were passed, but the centre did not concede. As the bills were cleared, demonstrations started in Punjab against the farm bills in the form of rail blockades, which lasted for nearly two months. The 30 farmers' outfits in Punjab, who remained at loggerheads with the railways for days, decided on the 23rd of November to lift the rail blockade on the centre's urging. But after the centre presented no concrete plan of action, the farmer unions decided to give their Delhi Chalo March call. On the 26th of November last year, thousands of farmers from over 500 farmer unions who marched from Punjab, Haryana to the borders of Delhi were met with heavy resistance from the police and security forces. The forces used water cannons, sand trucks, fences, barricades and lattes while many farmers breached the barricades and proceeded to reach the borders. The farmers said that they had come prepared with food, clothing and supplies for nearly six months and would not budge till their demands were met. In the course of the protest, while camping around Delhi, they blocked highways, held dharnas and hunger strikes. The farmers have maintained that they will not leave till their biggest and most important demand is not met. The demand to get the three farm laws fully repealed. The farmers' concerns lie in the most important aspect of the laws. The entry of corporate markets into the farming sector, which they fear will lead to the dismantling of their traditional mandi system and compromise the assured minimum support price. Another provision in the Act that the farmers have problems with is that of contract farming. Agriculturists fear that laying down a legislative framework to encourage contract farming could make farmers vulnerable to exploitation by corporates. Apart from the three laws, the farmers have other important demands as well that fail to gain the media spotlight. The farmer unions are also opposing the Electricity Amendment Bill of 2020, which changes the way power subsidies were given to farmers. They are also opposed to being fined by the government on stubble or farm residue burning. Besides legislations, the farmer organisations have also demanded the overall development of the farm sector and they want the full implementation of the recommendations of the MS Swaminathan Commission. Between 2004 and 2006, the MS Swaminathan Commission on Farmers, constituted by the government and chaired by MS Swaminathan, had brought out five reports. The reports recommended steps for overall growth of the farming sector, more price assurance, security for small farmers, and provision of basic farming resources to the farmers of the country. The Centre, however, despite the series of discussions with the farmers, continues to state that the laws are in the interest of farmers and has shown no signs of rethinking the legislations. The Agriculture Minister recently indicated that the Centre or the Prime Minister would not yield under pressure. He said, and I quote, The Prime Minister is dedicated to improving the economic condition of farmers and no power can exert pressure and influence on him. Ahead of another round of talks scheduled for tomorrow, however, the Centre has offered concessions on two of the farmers' demands. The Centre on Wednesday offered to spare farmers heavy fines for crop residue or stubble burning and to continue the current mechanism of giving subsidised power for agricultural use. But the demand for repealing the laws altogether is yet to be negotiated. Meanwhile, farmers in Punjab today send legal notices to three BJP ministers for allegedly making defamatory statements against the farmers' agitation. BJP leaders have come under fire for allegedly associating the farmers' protests with various agendas. Recently, Punjab leaders launched an attack on the BJP for the alleged derogatory remarks made by the party's senior leaders against the protesting farmers. Punjab Chief Minister Amrinder Singh asked the saffron party to stop maligning the farmers and their fight for justice by using offensive terms such as urban naxals, khalistanis and hooligans. He added, and I quote, If the BJP cannot distinguish between anguished citizens fighting for their survival and terrorists, militants and hooligans, it should give up all pretense of being a people's party. Unquote. The farmers too had rejected a proposal sent by the centre and asked it to stop maligning their protest. Yesterday, a 75-year-old farmer died by suicide at the Ghazipur border. According to the police, the farmer from Uttar Pradesh's Rampur district left a suicide note written in Gurmukhi script. He also wrote that the centre's new farm laws were not in the interest of farmers and that the centre was responsible for his death. He instructed his family members to conduct his last rites at the protest site. This is the third such incident of suicide at the farmer protest. Before this, a Punjab lawyer died by suicide and another farmer attempted to take his life. Besides this, according to farmer unions, over two dozen farmers have died at or around the borders of Delhi since the protests began. The farmer unions had declared 20th of December as a day for mourning for those who died during the protests and said that the government was responsible for their deaths. And now for some news from the world of arts and culture. In Madhya Pradesh, a stand-up comic, Munavvar Faruqi was arrested and booked for allegedly hurting religious sentiments by making derogatory comments about Hindu deities. Faruqi was among five comedians arrested on Friday evening in Indore for being a part of a show where alleged indecent remarks were made. According to reports, the FIR was filed based on the complaint of Iklavya Singh Gore, the chief of Hindutva outfit Hind Rakshak Sangathan. Gaur is the son of Bharatiya Janata Party legislator and former mayor of Indore, Malini Gore. Farooqi and four others were produced in the court yesterday and remanded in judicial custody. One of them was also reportedly slapped outside the court premises. The police station in charge Kamlesh Sharma said that the complaint was registered following video evidence submitted to the police in which objectionable content was found. The incident comes just days after communal clashes took place in Indore, Ujjain and Mansor after rallies organised by right-wing groups to spread the word on donations for the Ram Temple in Ayodhya. The Delhi government's Department of Art, Culture and Language today set up and notified a Tamil academy to promote Tamil language and culture international capital. Deputy Chief Minister Manish Sisodia, who also holds the charge of Art, Culture and Language Department, appointed ex-MCD councillor and current member of Delhi Tamil Sangam N. Raja as the vice-chairman of the academy. As per an official statement, the newly set-up academy will soon be allocated an office space with all the necessary infrastructure. Speaking at the occasion, Sisodia said that Delhi is a culturally rich city where people from all parts of the country live and work and it is this diversity that forms Delhi's vibrant and cosmopolitan culture. Sisodia said, and I quote, Delhi has a large population of people from Tamil Nadu and we want to present a platform to the people of Delhi to get a taste of the art and culture of Tamil Nadu, unquote. The newly appointed Vice Chairman N. Raja said, and I quote again, The Tamil language and culture have a long tradition in the history of Indian culture as well as in Delhi. With the formation of this academy, we will kickstart a new journey of preserving the language in Delhi and promote it too. Unquote. And now for some international updates. COVID-19 has infected over 84.6 million people around the world, out of which 1.84 million people have died. Israel said today that 2 million people in the country will have received a two-dose COVID-19 vaccination by the end of January. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been heard boasting of this as the world's fastest vaccination drive. Starting on 19th of December, when Netanyahu got his first dose, Israel launched an aggressive push to administer the vaccine made by Pfizer-BioNTech. In Egypt, the government has approved the use of a COVID-19 vaccine developed by Chinese pharma giant Sinopharm with its rollout to start later in January. The first batch of the vaccine was delivered in December with further doses expected this month. Each batch of the vaccine consists of 50,000 doses and the ministry has announced that the first group to receive it will be medical workers. In Japan's Tokyo, officials have reported more than 800 new coronavirus cases on Sunday. This comes a day after governors from the capital and neighboring prefectures called on the Japanese government to announce a state of emergency to combat the recent surge in cases. Japan's health ministry said that there were over 3,000 new confirmed cases of COVID-19 across the country. In South Korea, a health official said that on Sunday, a third wave of the novel coronavirus is being contained. The country reported the lowest number of new infections in nearly four weeks with the help of tougher restrictions during the New Year holiday season. India is projected to be among the worst affected economies in the world, with the output in 2020 forecast to be 10.3% down when compared to 2019. In most of the world except China, economic activity is unlikely to return to 2019 levels, even in 2021. News Laundry columnist Jamian Rao says an effective and successful immunisation programme is the only way out of this slump. To know the seven principles of a successful immunisation programme, read his article by the same name on our website newslaundry.com. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow.